Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Justin Palmer Show. Today's guest is Larry Hagner. He's the creator and founder of the Good Dad Project and someone that I kind of met randomly on uh, on Instagram. It was it was incredible to connect with him. We have shockingly similar lives and I thought, you know, what what Larry shared on the show is just incredible. He's he's very down to earth. I'm totally humbled by the fact that two humans who've never met in person could share so much in terms of a story. And uh, I just think it's it's incredible that he shared it from the heart. And what he's doing is incredible. And I hope you guys uh, enjoy this one. This was a real gem. Peace. It's the Justin Palmer Show. Here we, here we go. Woo! Okay, man. Thanks, thanks for taking the time to to join today. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's I. It's been interesting for me to research what you're doing because as I've started on my own journey down this path of like uncovering what it means to be a father in the world today, not having a role model myself. I've found that the universe keeps putting me in front of and connected with people who've had similar journeys on their own. And I think it's really interesting what you're doing. And I I would love to just start off with a question for you. Um, How did you get started doing the, the good dad project? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, back in 2012, I just, I woke up one day and I just had this epiphany that I knew everything there was about being a father. So I must, I, I just must share it with the world. <laughs> That's a total joke, by the way. Uh, for, for those of you, yeah, it was, it was uh, definitely the opposite, you know, and uh, I would say still is today, right? Uh, I always joke that I'm, I'm a moron behind the mic, but I'm a moron behind the mic who has a front row seat to the best education possible. And, you know, we, I started Good Dad Project back in 2012 and man, it was, it came out of struggle, my friend, like probably I, I like to call it my Jerry Maguire moment, you know, where I was, it was, a, it was in a dark place one night and, you know, a lot of this really started with my childhood. I mean, it sounds like I don't know much about your background, but, but perhaps our, our backgrounds are very similar. You know, I'm 45 years old. I was born in 75. My parents, my, my mom and biological father were married. Uh, back in 71, they were married for like four years, had me, they got divorced right after, and he was out, gone. And I did not know him at all, I had no recollection of him. In fact, when I was four, um, I mean, I'm 45, I still remember this like it was yesterday. When I was four, I was in preschool, and I knew I didn't have a father, didn't bother me any. In fact, my my interpretation of what a father was is moms go out and they find them and then bring them like back to the nest, right? Had no idea that, you know, birds and the bees at that point in time. And I remember being in preschool and I remember my friends getting picked up from school by their dad. So I knew what a dad was and we just had, we just don't, didn't have one yet. Didn't bother me. Didn't feel like I was missing out on anything. And I'll never forget the first time my mom brought a man home and I was still four at the time. And I remember it vividly like it was yesterday. And this guy came walking in. He was a white collared data software engineer. He worked at the same company my mom did he came in in his three-piece suit, you know, the double Windsor tie and the vest and 
briefcase because there were no iPads back then and feathered hair. And, and the first question I asked this poor guy was, are you going to be my dad? Cause I thought I was like, Oh wow, this is it. She found him. You know, here he is. And I think there was a part of my mom that she took that as like a sign, you know, that like, wow, I really need to find this young man, a, a, a father. And I don't think she ever really loved him, but I think she liked him enough to be like, yeah, maybe this could kind of work out. Right. And so she, they got married. They got married when I was five. I remember even being in the wedding. And I remember I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like my family's complete. Like we, she found us a dad. I have a dad. My mom was able to quit work. She was able to stay home with me, which was pretty cool. He traveled Monday through Friday. He was ex-military. He was probably one of the most polite individuals you ever meet. He adopted me. So I have the same last name he does. And it was cool. And it was cool for like a year. And then after that, things got really, really dark. And I remember a lot of fights breaking out, you know, where even cops would show up at our house because, you know, people were beating on each other, you know, and my dad drank a lot, you know, and so did my mom, but my dad really drank a lot, but sober, he was great. Uh, Drunk was not. And I remember when I was 10, you know, it was, oh man, every year just got progressively worse and worse and worse with fighting. And, you know, at one point in time, I think the very last year they lived together, he lived downstairs and she lived upstairs. Like it was just weird, man. And I remember when they got divorced, I was 10 and that was it. And I haven't seen him since. And I remember feeling this breath of fresh air that he was gone, that they were no longer together. But I also was very there was a part of me that's like, wow, it's like my family's not together anymore. This kind of sucks. You know, I became really curious about what, who my biological father was. So I started asking a lot of questions and my mom told me, she was like, well, I was actually married before and this is your dad. She showed me photos of our wedding album. And I was like, holy crap. Like it's really surreal to be 10, 11, 12 years old and see photos of your biological father at their wedding. And you see the resemblance of your father and you, and you're like, wow, this is crazy. Right? So as fate would have it, you and I were talking about how fate sort of works sometimes like it intertwines, like, you know, you were talking about Instagram algorithms. Well, I don't know what the universe had in mind that one day when I was 12, but I ran into him by accident. Your biological father. Yeah. My biological father. And I won't get into the details on that just, just for sake of time, but we did run into each other. And then we, we formulated this relationship, which I was super excited about. I was like, not only do I have a father figure in my life, but like my father, that I've never known. Right. And I immediately started calling him dad. He was remarried at the time, had a two-year-old son, another one on the way. And, you know, you've probably been dating somebody in your life where like, you know, it was maybe surface level dating, but you knew at some point in time, just the way the girl was acting, or maybe the way you were acting, that the relationship was probably going to come to an end soon because you kind of felt like maybe that emotional sort of fade away. And I definitely felt that from him, that something was heavy on him, on his heart or whatever, but he just wasn't communicating it. And after about six months, you know, he, we had a conversation and to be honest, I don't even remember what words were used, but that was the end of our relationship. And I was very bitter about it. And, you know, he was, I had a two, like I said, two-year-old half brother, another half brother on the way. And that was hard, man. You know, losing him when I was a kid, when I was a baby, I didn't know it. You know, my mom remarried, he adopted me, lost him then losing my biological father all before the time I was even 13 years old. And I, that threw me into a spiral of really bad things to happen. You know, I got really into emotionally eating. I was really overweight. I failed eighth grade. I mean, I was voted most likely to do nothing with my life in junior high. And then I ended up repeating eighth grade. 
I actually got into a pretty good high school. Uh, and then I went on to college, graduated college, met my wife in college. Uh, we got married when I was 28. I'll finish it with this. Um, when I was 30, two things happened. Number one, um, my wife and I were expecting our first son. And number two, I ran into my, my biological father again. Before I get into that story, the one thing I'll say here real quick was my mom was constantly in and out of relationships from the time I was little to the time I was 25 years old. She was married three times and every guy that she dated was the same guy, just different face, different name. You know, it was always like just some partier, you know, just some toxic individual who seemed like he was cool on the outside, but then always had this dark side. So half my, fa- half my childhood was spent without a father figure. And then the other half was spent with a toxic one. So again, back to the story when I was 30, sitting in Starbucks one morning, this is 15 years ago with a good friend of mine who I worked with at the time. And she and I were really close. We were really good friends. And, um, he, my father came walking through the door to get his morning coffee. Like I hadn't seen him since I was 12. And very few people had knew this story of, of my father and all that good stuff. And she was one of them. And I was like, Hey, you'll never believe this. And she's like, what? And I was like, remember, remember my father? I told you about my father. She's like, yeah. I was like, that's him over there. And she's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's him right there. Like he was across the coffee shop. And she's like, Oh my God. Like, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna say? I was like, nothing. What am I going to say? I was like, it's been 18 years since I've seen the guy. Last time I talked to him, he basically told me he wasn't ready for anything like this. So nothing to say. Without a word, she just got up and went over to him. I had no idea she was going to do that. And he came over. And at that point, like when you meet eyes with your biological father that you've had no relationship with your entire life and he comes walking over, there's a part of you that either wants to run, go to the bathroom, pee down your leg, escape, or, or just out of pure curiosity, you just want to sit there and see what this guy has to say. So he came over, he started talking to me and asked me about my life and what I did. And at the time I was doing pharmaceutical sales and had a good sales career and married and first kid on the way. And it's like, yo, we should get together sometime. And I'm like, if you want to, you know, I was kind of cold. And I basically, I gave him my contact information. I'm like, here, if it, look, there's a part of me that was like, look, you don't have to do this. All right. Like just whatever. Yeah. And I was like, if if you want to get in touch with me, you can, here's my card. And so lo and behold, you know, an hour later, he sent me this long email, just very humbled, you know, just sharing, you know, it was good to see me and yada, yada. And we met for breakfast and here we are 15 years later, we've got a relationship. I wouldn't say it's your typical dad son relationship, but it's a friendship. I've got two younger half brothers that I get along with. Great. He's still married to the same woman. My boys know him as grandpa and his wife as grandma. And it's good, man. Um, And to answer your question, I was raised with the, with all the examples of what not to do, you know, as a father. And what I found was, is that's only half the battle. And I was struggling being a father because the thing was, is I put a lot of pressure on myself with it. I wanted to be a really good father. I just didn't know the map. I didn't know the skills. I didn't know what to do. And I was your typical guy. I was really into my career. I was really into my hobbies. Um, I was a very hands-off father. I had very short on patience. I had a, if I'm being really generous, I had a mediocre marriage and sought validation in other places, right? And it wasn't until a night in 2012, my son, who's 12 now, he was four at the time, stepped out of line. I spanked him and he hit the ground. And when I went to help him up, and it's hard for me to talk about that out loud, 
Uh, but it's been a story. It's had that not happened, we wouldn't be sitting here talking right now. And I went to help him up and he shuddered with fear. And that was hard to see that. And I was like, something's got to change like that. That's it. Something's got to change. Like, this is not the way I wanted my life to look like. And it was in that night I went into my office. I was pretty emotional and I did what every adult does. I went in and got on my Facebook page because that's what adults do when they're distracted or overwhelmed, right? They want to distract themselves with somebody else's story. And I saw this button in the left-hand corner and said, create a page. I don't know what it was, but I was just like, good dad project rolled right off my heart and onto that keyboard. And basically what that was, was a surrender. It was a surrender to say, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. And I'm tired of not knowing what the hell I'm doing. And if I can create this page to where this will keep me publicly accountable to basically go out and learn one new thing every day. That was it. Just learn one new thing every day about being a man, being a husband, being a parent, just confidence. I mean, mindset, the whole nine yards. And that put me on a journey, you know, of, you know, I, I launched the blog back in 2013, gooddadproject.com. 2015, we started podcasting. Uh, 2016, we launched Dad Edge Alliance Mastermind. Um, we now have 600 plus episodes of, of podcasts. We have 500 guys, 500 members who do life with us. We have a business coaching program for, for, for dads who are business owners who want balance in their business, but also within their life. And if you would have asked me eight years ago, if this is what it was going to turn into, never any expectations. Um, cause all this came out of white knuckled, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and a lot of mistakes of uh, what we're doing today. That's, uh, man, that's a fucking incredible story. And uh, strangely, strangely similar to my own personal story. Slight, slight differences, and we don't have to get into it because I feel like I have a million questions for you. <laughs> but... Um, Thank, thank you for sharing that in, uh, from your heart, man. That's, uh, I know what, I know exactly what you mean by white knuckling it. Yeah. It's hard for people to understand who haven't necessarily processed it yet or, or yeah. maybe not even aware of it. And I'm super thankful because one, uh, a kid that I met, uh, early in me starting to talk about growing up without my father had a similar situation and I've been able to try to impart whatever knowledge I have from processing it on him in, in his twenties. And it's just an incredible thing to be able to give back to. And he's been asking me some questions that I feel like, uh, these questions are for him. <laughs> and I, one, one question is, um, at what point, did you realize that you were like different? I know you explained that you kind of understood when you didn't have a father or not. Was there a point where you realized that it was kind of driving your life in a direction that you didn't want to go? Yeah. You know, if I look back on my life, if I were to sit here and analyze like so many things, right. Um, I remember, I mean, God, man, I, no one's ever asked me that question, but a lot of things are like coming up as I'm just really thinking about it, you know, and one thing that I'll tell you is that um, the one thing that I try to do with my four boys now is 
um, specifically be, be a foundation of psychological safety. I know that sounds kind of odd, but like, you know, my message to them is when crap hits the fan with you and when things are tough, here's your safe landing pad. You know, like I, we have, we have a quote that we, we say in our house all the time. And that is honesty and ownership is celebrated and never punished. So if you got an F on your report card and you come and tell me about it before I see that report card, that's celebrated that you had the courage to come up and tell me. And that will not be punished. You got an F? Okay. What are we going to do about it? You know, let's talk through it. You know, versus like slamming a kid and punishing them and, you know, or whatever else. For me, um, I had zero confidence growing up. And if I'm being real honest with myself, I still do from time to time. I definitely have more confidence than I used to. Um, it's 180 degrees what it used to be, but I still have those dark days, right, where I need that validation. And that's the second thing. I sought validation so much because I never got, I did not get it at home. And I don't share this stuff out of pity. You know, it's, it was what it was. It is what it is. My mom did the best she could with what she had. You know, my mom didn't have an easy childhood either. I think my mom was desperately trying to seek out a companion, you know, to do life with. And unfortunately, because of, I think, her, her drinking habits and that kind of thing, she always unfortunately ended up with the wrong companion. You know, someone who brought her down a level instead of raising her back up again. Um, for me, it was also, uh, I did not have a man to, to guide me necessarily with women and mindset and money and, um, direction. And even just sometimes having like the manly talk, right. Um, I'll never forget the very first time I had sex when I was 16 years old (laughs) and, um, I, I needed to go out and buy condoms and I was absolutely terrified to do it. Right. And I didn't want to do it by myself. I was embarrassed of what the girl behind the counter was going to say or do or whatever, or snicker or laugh at me. And so I, the time I'll never forget it. My mom was dating this guy named Jeff. He lived with us. And this guy was like the epitome nightmare of all the guys that she'd ever been with. And I asked him, I was like, Hey man, like, this is what's, this is what's going on, you know? And there was that hope in me of like, man, can you kind of talk me through this? Because I know this, and at the time, this girl was not a virgin and I was. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, man. I'm Like, I was freaking out because I knew she wanted to. And I knew that I'm like, well, sure, I'm a dude and I want to, but I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And so I came to this guy and I talked to him and he laughed at me. You know, he poked fun at me. He joked with me. And at the end of it, I was like, hey, man, like, look, can you go buy these condoms for me? And he's like, no. He's like, I'll go with you. And, you know, if you kind of need somebody there with you. So he did. And he freaking made a joke of it to the girl behind the counter. So like what, what, what was an embarrassing moment that I was trying to avoid? He actually made it worse. You know, and it's just like, God bless. I remember being that age and I'm like, do I have anybody that I can go to about dude stuff? You know, that is going to just take it seriously or just like be that safe place to land. Right. You know, I mean, I, I talk to my, my tool, this boys about porn all the time. And I, I can see because I have software on their phones of if they're searching anything or not. And my oldest has a couple times. And the conversations I've had with him is when I go into those conversations, I'm like, I'm not going to make fun of you. I'm not going to punish you. And this is going to be a conversation that you're going to feel good about. And so am I after we're done talking about it. It's, it we're going to elevate you and not 
not make you feel disgraced and shame. And the conversations I have even with my kid about that is like, hey, man, like, you found anything good on the internet lately? You know, just try to soften it just a little bit, you know? So it's not like, what are you been searching, right? And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'll name the search. And by the way, it's, it's pretty simple, right? It's nothing crazy. And um, he's like, yeah. And I'm like, listen, honesty is never punished. It's celebrated. So thanks for being honest. Now let's talk through this. You know, let's talk through why you're doing this, why you're searching this stuff out. Let's talk about some of the dark things that could happen like to your mind and how your mind gets rewired when you look at images like this all the time. And, you know, let's, let's, let's maybe agree to have some better decisions made at the end of this conversation. How does that feel to you? Like, yeah, it's going to be great. That's creating psychological safety, right? And so I would say validation. I never had anybody psychologically safe to talk to about stuff like that. But the other thing too, here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. I did not know how to father my own kids. I had no clue. Like, um, I knew I wasn't going, like, here was my focus. I'm not going to yell at them. Uh, I'm not going to lose my patience with them. I'm not going to hit them. You know, this is what I'm not going to do. Here's what we don't understand about our minds. Our minds don't hear the word no or not. So if I tell you, Justin, don't think of an elephant, what are you thinking of? Elephant. Elephant. (laughs) What What we resist persists. So if I tell you, don't think with all the power you have, Justin, don't think of a, don't think of an elephant for the love of God. Don't think of an elephant. You can't help it. So if you think about like, I am not going to lose my patience. I am not going to get angry. I am not going to spank. All your brain hears is patience, spanking, anger. You almost can't help yourself, right? Unless you have the skill set to interrupt those, those thought patterns and those actions. So those are just some of the shortcomings that I can definitely tell you about. Yeah. No, I mean, look, it's, I think we all have, I think any father that is interested in doing the best job that they can, can resonate with, with those messages. Right. And as people ask me all the time, like, well, what was the moment? What was the moment? What was the moment? I'm like, I don't know. You know, it wasn't just one, it was a series, it was a, it was 36 years of a series of moments when you look around and you say, that's, I don't want to have this experience. Yeah. You know, I wanted, I want to have a different experience that I think, like you said, is like elevated from this, not, not being better than people, but I want to do better myself. Yeah. And uh, I can resonate with that for sure. I think it's um, it's hard for people to understand that they can take control of these situations and and start to implement new things, right? I mean, your the story of like spanking your son is like that that reflection on it is a powerful thing. And I'm, did you do any work? Like, were you reading? Did you? go to any seminars? Did you have anything, any resources that you started tapping into? Because on, in my experience, it took a while for me even to get comfortable in saying that I have role models because I was so used to just going down the fucking solo path, right? Like you mentioned, whereas like, so my mom was married many times 
I never had any connect, any real connection with any of them. Not nobody, nobody drank. They weren't bad people. My mom did an incredible job. She like filled, filled my life with love when she could. And it just felt wholly unstable to me. And when I told my mom that she was like, I didn't know that's how you interpreted it. And I'm like, I, that defined the early years of my adulthood is trying to figure out what all that instability meant. Sure. Yeah. You know, and what do you do for a living? Is this what you do for a living? Uh, right. I own a real, a commercial real estate business. So I, I moved to New York in 2005, uh, with a duffel bag and put myself through college. Okay. Cause I was, I was a dropout and came out of that and got a job at a private equity fund that was investing in real estate sort of okay. just randomly. Ba- I was curious on how things got built and I felt like I could do it. And then the market collapsed and I started my own company and the rent from 2012 to about a year ago, I was buying and building um, commercial properties in New York and San Francisco. And did you go through any type of training to do that type of work? Uh, on the, on the job training. On the job training. Yeah. I, I worked at Lehman during the bankruptcy and I saw okay. what happens when things go terribly wrong and coming out of that. It, I mean, it was, you look at all these things in your life and you're like, how, how did this happen? Right. How, how did this happen? Like I, my, the whole, my whole existence to that point was looking around saying, I'm not like any of these people. Right. I'm at a private equity fund where people went to Harvard and NYU and Brown and all these schools and they all had like normal lives. And I was inside completely lonely telling myself, I'm, I'm, I'm not like any of these people. And in a lot of ways that drove me to step out of the idea of wanting to build a career in, in someone else's company. And to take the risk. And I mean, I had nothing when I started my own company. My son was a month old in 2000, in November, 2012. And I told my wife, I was like, it's time. And she was like, all right, go. And we, I honestly, I did not have a plan. I had no investors. I had no deals. I had nothing. <laughs> right. Did you have mentors? No, not really. No. No, okay. I mean, the guy, I, looking back, I had uh, so I had people who helped me with little messages, but I I did not have the ability to even be vulnerable enough. I didn't tell anybody that I grew up without a father mm-hmm. in New York. When I moved, I was like clean slate. It's a restart. Nobody knows who I am. I'm a 4.0 student in college. That's it. You know, you just hit home a point that normally we don't really get to compare it to, which it sounds like your profession is a lot like fatherhood. Go figure it out. But your profession is not normal. Meaning um, if someone's going to start their own business or company, they usually hire a business coach or a mentor to be like, hey, man, help me lay the groundwork. Can I give me a point in the right direction when I need it? And we take a lot of pride in our professional life to ask for help. Hey man, my business coach, my business coach, my mentor, my mastermind, like, like we're like, we'll throw that around all day long. Right. But when it comes to fatherhood, Oh, well, if I have to ask for help, that that's probably not good. If I, if I need a therapist, I'm broken or I'm crazy or I'm this or I'm that. And if I can't communicate with my wife, maybe we're not a good match. Like, and if I don't have patience with my son, 
maybe I'm not a good father. But the funny thing is, is we will put that, that frame on us. We will, we will frame ourselves within our families like that. But when it comes to our business, we'll give ourselves all the grace in the world. Be like, yeah, I'm going to start a commercial real estate company. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to hire a few people to help me and, and kind of get the ground running and, and give me some, some direction and that kind of thing, man, I'm excited. Right. You know, being a father and being a husband, you know, on our podcast, Dad Edge podcast, we talk about the five dimensions of being a husband, father, and man, which is managing your personal finances, optimizing your personal finances, optimizing your health, physical, mental, emotional health, creating a legendary marriage, uh, an epic connection with your kids, and being a leader in your business. Now, if you look at those five elements, those are the ones that we have the least amount of training on. But here's the crazy thing. And society has it set up in such a way to where this is like the norm, Right. You know, if you want to go be a cop, it, being a parent or being married, it's almost like you just applied to go to the police academy and you were accepted. You show up first day, you're all excited. It's like six, six months or a year, whatever the police academy is. I don't even know. And the police academy opens the door and they're like, Justin, welcome. Hey, guess what? There's no more police academy. Like you're, a, you're actually a cop today because you applied, you're a cop and head on down to precinct number two. They've got a car ready for you. They have a uniform, a taser. I know you haven't shot a gun. Don't worry. We're going to give you one anyway. You're going to go out and fight crime. But don't worry about it, man. Best time of your whole life. It, it, it'll, be, it'll be great. Best of luck. And we wouldn't expect that in our professions. We don't expect that if you go into sales, you have sales training. If you're going to be a manager, you have management training. If you're going to enter into the real estate, I mean, to get a real estate license, you know, to be a real estate agent, it's like, what, 90 hours of training and then a test, something like that. But yet when you're a parent, it's like pat on the back, best of luck, you got this, right? And that's crazy to me, right? And, and for some reason, some crazy reason, as men, if this doesn't come naturally to us or we screw up, we just, it's, it's this voice between our two ears that will beat the living snot out of ourselves. And then we should on ourselves, I shouldn't do that. I should be better. I should have more patience. I shouldn't be so angry. I should be happier. It's all these really bad, horrible conversations that we have with ourselves that nobody else hears but us. And then on top of it, it's devastating to us as fathers to, I mean, if, I, I almost find it funny that the stereotypical man never wants to stop and ask, ask for directions because the majority of men that I know, me included, I hate not knowing where I'm going. If I go to Lowe's, I am not going to waste my time walking up and down six to 10 aisles looking for the drills. I'm going to walk in that front door. I'm going to go to my left because I know that's where the customer service desk is because every time I walk into Lowe's, that's the first place I go to. Where are the drills? Where are the drywall screws? Where are the washing machines? I don't want to waste 15, 20 minutes of looking for something. I want you to tell me exactly where it's at so I can go find it, walk through that store with confidence, check out, get back on with my life. And I think if you get to the heart and soul of any man, we want direction. We want to point in the right direction. Unfortunately, it's our egos and our pride. And I don't say that in a, in a, in a dig on men. We're not taught any other way. It's like, man, if you don't know how to do this, you're, you're not a man, you know? And then, then you hear the great advice of grow a set of balls, man up. And let me tell you and your listeners where that grow, grow a set of balls and man up comes from. If you're ever sitting across from a man and you're going through something and you decide to get authentic and maybe it's communication with your wife, maybe it's intimacy with your wife, maybe it's because you can't communicate or connect with your teenager. And if your friend tells you to man up, grow a set of balls and get through it, that's because he doesn't know what the hell to tell you. 
And he also doesn't have the skill set to tell you how to get out of that. When we start saying stuff like that, when we say man up, grow a set of balls, it's because we have run out of skill set. When we break down, lose our patience, lose our cool and spank our kids like I did, it's because we don't know what else to do. We've run out of the skill set. So we just react. So it's really important for men to realize and for us to realize that if you want to have a legendary marriage, that's, that's not a feeling and it doesn't come naturally. Men and women are wired completely different. To create a legendary marriage, it's a skill. It's a skill because there are four pillars of a legendary marriage. There's self-care, there's partnership, friendship, intimacy, and lovers. And the foundation that those four pillars sit on is communication. And most men and women, I mean, there's a, there's a book out there titled for a reason, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. We are two totally different creatures and we communicate differently. But it's knowing how, knowing how a woman communicates, knowing what she needs, and also her knowing what you need and how you communicate and then understanding like, hey, she's speaking Chinese, I'm speaking French. How can we both speak English and understand each other? And once you understand that skill, because there's all kinds of skills, even, even communicating with your wife, there's tactical empathy. There's emotional validation. There's asking her really good questions. There's not fixing, don't ever fix the woman's problems unless she asks you to. Don't ever fix her issue unless she actually says, I need you to help me fix this. Otherwise, you just need to be quiet, listen, and emotionally validate her. That's really all she wants. Things like that that we just don't know. And patience. The final thing I'll say is patience. I've, been, I've had the honor and blessing to stand nose to nose, toes to toes with men for over 2,000 hours at this point. And I can say it almost before they do. When I ask a man like, hey, man, like, what has your attention? What keeps you up at night? What's the thing that you struggle with most? Patience. I can say it almost before they can what we don't understand is we are actually wired to not be patient individuals. It's in our primal DNA to have a sense of urgency, you know, and to want things now, right? It's a skill to create patience. It's a skill to create calm. It's a skill to respond and not react. You know, and, and a lot of people think that it's a feeling. And if you do it wrong, then you're wrong. That's, that's not the case, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you meditate? I've, so maybe call it meditating. I, I am not a good meditator, but I do pray. Um, you know, and I, I do it at, at random times. So like, I'll, I'm a big proponent of, of a sauna because <laughs> it's uncomfortable. And what I'll do to, because um, my heart races when I'm in the sauna, you know, just sitting there, right? And it's 150 degrees or whatever it is in there. I'll work on my breathing and I'll pray. And that to me, or I'll, or I'll do visualization where I'll visualize my day or my week, or I'll visualize like, you know, Hey, after I'm done with this, what is, what is an epic interaction with my 14 year old look like, you know, right when I see him, when I'm done here, things like that. Yeah. How did, how did you start pulling your whole program together? Because it's, I mean, I agree with everything you said. I think, um, there's no training manual and no one really talks about it. And if you talk about it, it's, it, I think it generally has looked at as a form of weakness, right? And um, at least in a social context and, and it's like, it, you were asking me some questions earlier. I mean, for, about like role models and stuff. I, I was not prepared to be vulnerable. It didn't have anything to do with anybody else, right? I had plenty of 
great. I surround, I took myself from a situation surrounded by people that were doing things that I didn't want to be doing and surrounded myself with people doing things that I wanted to be doing. And that's, uh, anyone can make that choice at any point in time. It doesn't happen instantly, but you can make that choice. And I'm, I'm curious, like how it, you started kind of pulling all this information together. Cause you have, you clearly have like a very well thought out, I mean, you program and structure. That's part of what you're helping people with, but what, how did that start for you? Like, how did you start getting information? Uh, it's, it's a really good question. And I'll, I'll kind of give you maybe a, a longer winded answer, you know, so I never, I never expected, you know, data edge to become an organization or a business in some way, shape or form. Um, but that's, that's what it's become. And I, I am so pleased of what, what has been created. So what I'll tell you is that, you know, in 2012, I started that, you know, 2013, I started the blog and then 2015, I started podcasting. I started podcasting not because I want to make a living at it. I started podcasting because I was so curious on how can I do this thing better and how can I learn from people who are way smarter than me? And man, we've had some epic guests on the show, you know, pro athletes and Jocko Willink's been on, Leif Babin's been on and, you know, these Navy SEALs and UFC fighters and professional football players and like all these people who've got like these high, high elite minds and training and how they go about life and parenting experts and the whole nine yards. And in 2015, after podcasting for a year, I was like, man, like, where's this whole thing going to go? Like, what am, what am I supposed to do with all this information? Just keep podcasting or just, what do I do? And I kept, you know, I'd get message after message after message of like, Hey man, can I get some advice or can I get this or can I get that? I was like, well, maybe coaching, you know, I wrote my first book called the dad edge. I have three different certifications in coaching now. Um, but I'll, tell you how it all started. So I had a really good mentor of mine, a really great mentor named Aaron Walker. Aaron Walker is the founder of Iron Sharpens Iron. He calls it ISI. He wrote the book View from the Top. One of his best friends is Dave Ramsey. They've been in a mastermind together for 25 years. Aaron is a, is a guru of success. And Aaron made his first several million dollars when he was 27 years old by selling one of his companies. And, you know, so Aaron... He's about 60 years old now. And in 2015, he and her, our paths crossed. He was on my podcast and he asked me, he's like, and he's from Nashville. He's got this really cool Southern accent. He's like, Hey man, Larry, what are you going to do with this podcast? What are you going to do with this mission, man? Come on. That's literally how he talks. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know. He's like, he's like, listen, man, you're on to something here. Like, you need to start like some sort of organization or business to help men be better men. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, I'm like the student here myself. I'm like I'm doing this more. He's like, that's why you got to start it. He goes, cause you're no guru, you know, and that's why people relate to you. And I'm like, okay, so what do I do? He's like, listen, man, you know, you need to join a mastermind to get you some direction on how to do this. And I'm like, okay, well, what does that entail? I didn't even know what a mastermind was. He's like, look, you know, it's like-minded individuals who come together for a shared purpose. And what we do is we basically help you with a vision. We keep you accountable and you go out and you execute and you're with us. You you're with us once a week. And I'm like, okay, well, what does that cost? He's like, it's 500 bucks a month. And I'm like, I don't think that's for me. 
because <laughs> he was like what are you talking about i was like and that's i don't have the money for that man i was like you know at the time i wasn't making any money with that edge and certainly didn't feel like i was like the guy and he asked me a question that changed the whole game changed everything and i still live by it today so many of us especially men what is this going to cost me that's what we want to know what is this going to cost me? You know, when I get an email from a guy and his, the only sentence in that email is, what does your mastermind program cost? I don't reply. Maybe it would turn into something or maybe it wouldn't, but that guy hasn't bought into the mindset that it's not a cost, it's an investment. And this is, this is what the question was and, and the statement. He's like, Larry, listen to me. Growth is tough and it's uncomfortable. It will cost you time. It will cost you $500 a month. It will cost you accountability. It's going to cost you a lot to grow. He's like, but what's the cost of doing nothing? What's the cost of doing nothing? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I want you to, I want you to hang up this phone with me after I tell you this. He's like, and I just want you to take three to four minutes and I want you to ponder one thing. What's the cost of doing nothing? 30 days from now, a year, five, 10, 20, 30, and then on your deathbed. Without growing, without evolving, without being better than, better, a better person than you are today, what is that going to do to your marriage? What is that going to do to your physical, mental, emotional health? What's that going to do to the connection with your kids? What is that going to do to the world if you don't, if you don't create something? What's the cost of that? See you later. And he hung up. And I was just like, huh, what a jerk, right, at first. And then I sat there and I was like, all right. And I closed my eyes and I literally envisioned what would it be like on my deathbed if I kept going the way I was going, which was still on a pretty decent path, but it wasn't all, I knew there was more. And I thought to myself, it was horrifying. It was horrifying of visualizing each day as busy, each day without the direction, each day of not stepping into what I knew could have been a great marriage, uh, great connection with my kids and building something that was really meaningful and doing the work that makes me come alive. I called him back within 10 minutes. And I'm like, I'm in. When do we start? And I have never regretted that. I was in that mastermind for almost a year. And it gave me a very solid, the, 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 the challenge with that was, is I was the only podcaster. I was the only speaker and author in my group out of 10 guys. And I went to quit. And I had a conversation with him. I'll end, I'll end the story here. And I was like, listen, man, this, this mastermind isn't doing much for me. And he started laughing. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, dude, I'm the only podcaster in my group of 10 guys. I was like, I get to see you every week and I'm, I'm, I'm hitting milestones and doing good things. You know, I was like, but I don't have any other direction of where to take this thing. And he just laughed. He's like, Larry, I was hoping you would, you would catch the obvious before we had this conversation. I was like, what's the obvious? He's like, do you see what we built here at, at ISI? At Iron Sharpens Iron? We have 150 men. We have 15 groups of 10 masterminds. All these guys are thriving. Have you thought about building what we have here for dads? And I'm like, nope. 
And he's like, well, get to thinking about it. He's like, this is what, this is what could be, is what you offer the world. And I thought about that. I was like, oh my God, like everything that I had wanted to build was right there in front of me that I was a part of. So in 2016, that's what we did. We launched it. And, you know, here we are, we have almost 500 members in our regular mastermind. We have another carve out mastermind called Data Edge Accelerator for business owners. Um, and that one is to help men leverage and scale their businesses, make them more profitable without sacrificing their marriage and their kids. And you know, 600 podcasts later, you know, I, I'm about ready to launch my third book. I mean, had it not been for that one conversation of what is this going to cost you if you do nothing? And that's what I live by. I no longer look at something as a cost. I now analyze it of what is it going to cost me if I do it? But more importantly, what's the opportunity miss if I don't do it? Yeah, that's powerful stuff, man. And you, what, what's it like for you? The last question, I think we're getting close on time for you, right? Before your house gets noisy. I mean, it sounds, sounds I'm, like I'm mine. actually good. I, I, I put the soundproof thing on my door here. So we're good. Oh, nice. There we go. Um, so one, one other thing I wanted to ask you is what is it like for you to literally live your life, do your work is part of what you do every day, which is being a father. What, what's that experience been like for you to kind of step into that and really have like total, it sounds like you have a lot of congruency in your work and your life, which is, I think that's what most people are looking for. Yeah. You know, the, the work that I do uh, is by far the most fulfilling work that I do. Uh, I get, I get to see men who do life with us, create these extraordinary marriages, you know, improve their intimacy and connection with their wives, you know, formulate a relationship with their kids, no matter what age they are, if they're five or if they're 15. And it's, it's amazing work. And here's what I'll tell you. Um, 75% of my days are, are great. And 25% screw with my head. And what I mean by that is, you know, I can't even tell you like how many guys I've gotten on a zoom call with who apply to be a part of our mastermind. Cause part of the application process is I set up a zoom call with you. So we actually get to know each other before you come to our mastermind. And guys are just like, man, your life must be perfect. And I just laugh. I was like, you should be a fly on the wall in this house. That's hilarious. I don't know how anybody could have a perfect life with four highly energetic boys, you know, and it's, it's crazy sometimes. Like there, there are times I lose my cool still. I try, you know, I'm better than I was before, but I still have those dark moments, right? The, the difference is, is that because of the skill sets we've learned and the skill sets we teach, I'm able to pivot faster, I'm able to get out of my own way faster than I used to before. Um, as far as congruency goes, there are some days, like today, perfect example. My, um, my oldest son is under, or I'm sorry, my 12-year-old's under quarantine right now because he was quote-unquote exposed to a kid who tested positive even though my son doesn't have COVID. So he's out of school until the 19th. Uh, I'm sorry, the 12th. And I could tell today he came upstairs, he was downstairs doing his virtual stuff. He came upstairs and I could tell he was depressed, you know, not being at school, not being with his friends. And he's one of those kids, he kind of like lingers when he's a little lost, you know? And he came up and I'm like, Hey man, like, how you doing? He's like, I'm okay. And he's a typical dude, like football, he's a football player, he's a typical dude, fine, good. 
I'm good. Tough dad, right? You know, like that's kind of his attitude. I'm like, no, man, like, how are you doing? He's like, it's been a tough day, man. It's been a long day. Like, I miss being in school. It's hard, you know, being downstairs just in front of a computer. And I was like, I looked at my calendar and I was like, you go back to school next Thursday? I was like, next Wednesday. I was like, let's go, let's have a me and you day. Like, let's go hiking. Let's, let's, let's go bike riding. Let's go do something, just me and you, whole day. I contacted my assistant. I screenshotted my calendar. I'm like, hey, can you reschedule everything next Wednesday? And I'm going to spend it with Mason. Now, that's what I call living in congruency, right? Because, like, business is great, um, but it's not the end-all, be-all. You know, we've got all the time in the world to make money, but he's only going to be in quarantine for the next seven days. And I got to take advantage of that. Because we're going to turn around tomorrow. We'll be past COVID. We'll be on to the next thing. And how might I leverage the days that he has off that we can look back and be like, remember that time I was quarantined and it sucked? Versus remember that time I was quarantined and we went out and had that really cool day together? That's living in congruency. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. It's, uh, I think it's rare for people to be able to sustain that place right and make those decisions because it always feels like something's coming up and it's important and we have to do something else and we have to be somewhere else and all those things it's hard to be in the here and now and uh, I think the more you train your mind to do it the better at it you get um, and I think it's 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 very cool to see that you're like a living example of it Right. And I totally get what you mean. Like there's, you have those moments where you're not your best self, but you snap out of those moments very quickly. Right. And there was, I I read some stuff recently that it was a range of things from Deepak Chopra to Eckhart Tolle that really redefined kind of the, the present moment for me. And I think hopefully people are taking time right now, whether it's tough or not for you, right? Some people are well off right now. Some people are struggling. Some people are just, they're in, you know, no man's land or they may feel that way. But I I hope that people take time just to be in the moment and even connect with themselves because there's no one else that's going to solve those problems for you. And like, I can, it's, it's cool for me to see that you've like, you've really, you live the work, you've done the work, you're putting that out, you're putting out whatever you learn every day, um, out into the universe. And, um, I, I don't know, it's just, that's an incredible thing. You know, I'm, I'm sure with four boys, that's, that's a lot of that's energy. Crazy. Well, here, here's one. Can I, can I share one more yeah. piece of advice that I think would be really meaningful? Um, you're not weak if you do this work. In fact, it's a badge of honor. It's a badge of strength. If you can raise your hand and be like, I don't, I don't know how to be the most patient father right now. These kids really test my limits. And if you're not saying that at some points, you're probably not that engaged. You know, if your kids aren't testing your patience, you're probably doing, you're probably parenting from, from way too far away. And it's okay to be like, I don't know how to connect with my wife all the time. You know, right now our marriage is on a scale of one to 10, it's a five. So, um, 
you know, it, it's okay to admit that stuff, right? What's not okay is if you bury it under the sand and expect it to get better, it never does. And then all of a sudden you've got a five alarm fire on your hands and now you try to correct it. You know, if you look at somebody like Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady has three coaches that help him be the quarterback that he is. Tom Brady was not a gifted quarterback like out of the womb and just kept doing it. He kept, he's the gifted quarterback because he's constantly honing his skills over and over and over again, right? Being a parent and being a father is no different. If Tom Brady didn't have the training and the mentoring and the coaching to be the incredible quarterback that he is, we would not see Tom Brady. We wouldn't even know who he is. So what I always want to encourage men to do is be constantly curious and never be afraid to invest in yourself. And I'm not saying that because like, oh, you need to join a mastermind. Like, some guys feel guilty spending 15 bucks on a, on a, on a book, you know, but yet we'll spend five bucks on a Starbucks coffee, right? Or we'll spend eight bucks on a beer at a happy hour, right? So don't be afraid in it to invest in yourself, whether it's a book, whether it, and investing doesn't have to mean money. It's also time. Don't be afraid to su- subscribe to a podcast like yours, right? Don't be afraid to, to subscribe to the Justin Palmer show, so you can learn from other people, right? That's investing in yourself is still time. If I'm going to take 60 minutes to listen to a podcast, that's 60 minutes. I never get back, but I'm going to learn something. And the other quote that we live by is don't start cooking dinner when you're starving. In other words, don't wait until your marriage is literally on the brink of crumbling before you're like, you know what? I should, I should probably figure this thing out. Man, be in front of that stuff. If your marriage is an eight right now, the thing that you shouldn't be saying is it's good enough right now. The thing you should be saying is how do I get it to a nine? How do I get it to a 10? And in fact, how can I make every single year better than the year it was before? Because those, those things do not happen by accident. They don't. And we shouldn't expect them to. But for some reason, when it comes to our families, when it comes to parenting and marriage and all that stuff, we expect that we should just automatically be awesome at it. And if we're not, well, God, like that really sucks. And I must suck, but that's, that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, in the current structure of society, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, especially in the context of education where we've kind of outsourced everything to allow ourselves to go, you know, pursue our dreams or your career, make money, right? It's usually, in, in America, it's heavily focused around money. And what the pandemic created for me was an opportunity to step back and really connect with my kids in a way. I mean, I was on the road 25 days a month for four years, right? And then we got on a plane and moved to Hawaii and all that stopped. And it has been the most incredible experience for me to connect. I mean, I had done a lot of work on myself even to get to that point and it was intentional. Like we, we had a transition plan to Hawaii, but it made me realize how much we've outsourced and how much energy needed to be, needs to be invested daily to these kids. Even if you only see them touch point of like breakfast, taking them to school, picking them up, you know, whatever it is. Um, 
And I think it's incredible that you've created a resource for people to do, to own those skills. Um, they're not, they're not readily available in the universe yet. Right. And, uh, they're not. Yeah. And you know, the other thing too, is you nailed it. If you think about, you know, I did, this is my third podcast I've done today. So I've spent three hours, you know, podcasting today and tonight, you know, we'll have a family dinner. We'll hang out as a family and there's going to be that part of me, right. That doesn't want to show up. That just wants to decompress and chill out and not, not be intentional. And one thing that's been circling my mind here lately is if I can give all I have three hours for a podcast or an hour for a podcast, well, how might I give that same energy and effort into an epic conversation with my kids and my family tonight over, over as we break bread? Because if you can bring that, like if you brought, like for all the white collar guys out there, right? If you can bring the same intention, tenacity, courage, and bravery that you do to your quarterly business reviews that you, that you PowerPoint up in front of all the suits, how could you take a fraction of that energy and bring it to your kitchen table? I guarantee your dinner time would be spent, would be elevated if you had that attitude versus like, ah, oh, it's been a long day at the office. I just need to like decompress at home not really do much, but that's where you really got to bring it. No one next week is going to remember your PowerPoint slide, but how might you create an experience at your dinner table that your kids will remember for a lifetime? Yeah, that's uh, incredibly well said. I I think we should uh, wrap it up on that note. If you're okay with it. That's I look, I sincerely appreciate the time. Truly, it's. Uh, I'm glad that the universe found a way to to bring us together. Uh, where can people find you at? Quickly, where do you want to have people find you at? Yeah, so you can. I mean, everything we're doing, you can find at gooddadproject.com. Um, gooddadproject.com. It's got our podcast there. It's got application for our mastermind. It's got. Um, I mean, we're everywhere now. We actually just got an email today that we were approved on Pandora now. So the podcast will be on Pandora now, but it's on every single podcast handle imaginable. Um, so you can, you can literally find us anywhere. And, and on Instagram, I'm pretty active over there. Uh, you can find me. My handle is at the dad edge. Uh, I'm pretty active over there with posting a lot of our stuff and our YouTube channel. If, if you're a budding podcaster, like, I, like you said, you are this is episode 15. If I give you any advice, man, is I thought YouTube was going to be here today, gone tomorrow back in 2015. And we just started blasting our YouTube channel. And I'm just sitting there and shaking my head. I'm like, I can't even believe we've got 600 episodes of content. And we just started putting these up like a few months ago. Like, I'm just like, what, what a miss that was. But yeah, you can find our YouTube channel. It's, it's a good dad project YouTube channel where we're, we're posting all of our podcasts and videos and stuff. Like cool. That. Well, I, I appreciate it, Larry. That's it, ladies and gentlemen, this was a quick one for JPS standards. Uh, I want to thank Larry for his time. That was an incredible discussion. Uh, he he has some great gems on fatherhood and just being being present and constantly working on yourself in the context of the game of life. Uh, so again, that, that was beautiful. Shout out to Chris Williams for producing the show. 
Hope you guys enjoyed it, and I'm sure we're going to see Larry soon. Thank you.